Welcome to Bovine Banter with the Penn State Extension Dairy Team. I'm Carly Becker. I'm a dairy educator based in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Joining us today is Dr. Amanda Grav and Dr. Sarah Potts from University of Maryland Extension. Thanks for being with us today, Amanda and Sarah. Can you all please introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your positions with University of Maryland Extension? Hey, thanks, Carly. It's great to be here. Um, thank you for the invite to join you. My name is Amanda. As Carly said, I, I'm the Forage Extension Specialist with University of Maryland. So I get to do a little bit of research on forages and forage crops and grazing livestock, as well as do a lot of extension programming and education to help farmers and producers better uh, utilize forages on their farms. All right. Thanks, Amanda. So I'm uh, Sarah Potts. I also work for the University of Maryland. I am the dairy and beef extension specialist. So very similar to role as Amanda. Uh, I'm a statewide specialist, so I do programming uh, across the state as well as some applied research projects. And we'll talk a little bit about one of our projects in particular today. So thanks again, Carly, for inviting us and looking forward to our discussion. Great. And thank you both so much. We're glad to have you join us on Bovine Banter. And this whole season, we're focusing on small grain forages. So you all both specialize working with farmers to improve their grazing practices. And you have a research project that you've been working on focusing on grazing small grain forages. So can you talk a little bit about the research that you all have going on currently? Yeah. So So we are currently doing a study at our university research farm. It's a dairy farm located in Ellicott City, Maryland. We are grazing the heifers on about 26 acres of a combination of perennial and annual pastures. So we have the pasture system set up as either perennial or have a couple of paddocks that are in in annual forages. Our control group is a group of heifers that are basically fed a TMR out in the pasture and have continuous access to that pasture. And then our experimental group are the ones that are being rotated through either a perennial system or our annuals. And for our annual pastures, we are doing sure um, obviously in the summertime we're doing summer annuals and then in the fall and in the early spring we're doing winter annuals so for our winter annuals we've been doing some triticale and then this last season we did a mixture of triticale oats as well as annual ryegrass and so we'll talk a little bit about that here shortly amanda if you have anything to add no i guess you know sarah said you know we're doing the two different grazing systems or the or the TMR versus grazing, I guess, really. And we're measuring the growth of the heifers. So we weigh them every other week um, and we're kind of tracking their growth. And then we're also measuring forage quantity and quality in the different pastures for both groups, but especially focused on kind of that grazing group to see what kind of forage production and what the forage quality is as we're grazing those small grains and other annual forages. Great. That sounds really interesting. And Just a side question here that we didn't have written down, but how are you all fertilizing that? Is it just you're relying on the heifers to fertilize the pastures themselves, or are there any other additives that you're doing to improve growth of the forages? Yeah, that's a good question. So we're relying fairly heavily on our, you know, soil sampling. So we know actually, you know, what nutrients we have present in our field and what nutrients might be limiting. So we're using lime to regulate our pH and keep the pH at that appropriate, you know, kind of between six and seven range. That's ideal for most of our forage species. And then we're using, I guess, a combination of some commercial fertilizer. And then of course the manure from our heifers as they're grazing those pastures and just keeping an eye on those N, P and K levels to make sure that we have adequate fertilizer present where it's needed. Great. So what are the advantages to grazing annual forages? So annual forages have, or can have a slightly different growth pattern 
pattern compared to many of our perennial forages. So, you know, in, in our area in Maryland and in Pennsylvania as well, we rely a lot on cool season perennial forages like, you know, tall fescue, orchard grass, um, ryegrass, all those kind of of forages. And we know that they traditionally have a lot of growth in the spring and then they kind of go through that summer slump and then they have more growth uh, in the fall. And we're using annuals to kind of supplement that and provide additional forage both during that summer slump in the heat of the summer when our, our cool season perennials are kind of going through their dormant phase. And then as well as extending that grazing season out a little bit, you know, we can start grazing the annuals usually a little bit earlier in the spring than our perennial forages are ready. And we're able to, you know, graze them a little bit later in the winter or alternatively graze them while we're stockpiling some of our fescue or some of our perennial pastures for kind of overwinter grazing. So it gives us more different growth patterns and different forages growing at different times of the year. And they're also a really high quality forage source for our animals. So we're able to see, you know, good forage quality and produce that forage at different times of the year. So there's a lot of different reasons, but those are kind of the main ones that we're focused on, at least with this project. Okay. And I think you kind of answered the next question that I was going to ask. So when is the best time to start grazing small grains? And I guess for your area, and then I'm here in Southeast Lancaster, so it'd probably be pretty similar to Maryland where you all are. Yeah. So really it depends a little bit on what you're growing. Of course, you know, we have, like we've mentioned, we have summer annuals and winter annuals, which is where the small grains come in. But really when it comes to timing, it depends a lot on, of course, the maturity of that forage. We know like with all of our forages, small grains are much higher in quality when they're more immature and they're smaller and more vegetative. And as they continue to grow and the yield increases, we see that decrease in our forage quality. So, you know, we want to time it to meet the animal's needs a little bit. Usually we shoot for kind of that boot stage um, or a little before for starting to graze. You also have to think about how much area of annuals you have and how much pasture you have. And you might want to kind of start grazing a little before maybe that prime time or that um, ideal stage so that you're, you know, not grazing the end of your acreage when they're really mature and, you know, lower in quality. So, So it's kind of all about balancing that forage maturity with that forage quality and then making that kind of meet the the needs of those animals. And so since you're oftentimes grazing small grain forages in the spring, early springtime, then do you recommend, what if you have like a really rainy spring? Do you recommend having a sacrifice lot or something of that sort in order to prevent destroying the fields? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, There's, I guess, two different kind of ways you can go about it. One would be to have a sacrifice lot, like you were saying, and use that area to feed, you know, hay or TMR or, you know, some other harvested forage when the pastures are really wet. The other nice thing that we've been finding with the annual forages is sometimes, you know, during the wet weather, we can graze the animals on our annual pasture. And, you know, even if they end up, you know, trampling it a little bit more than we would like, it's an annual. So we're not ruining our, you know, long-term, you know, many, many years of hopefully stand life for our perennial forages. Um, the annuals are something that, you know, are just meant to last us that one season or maybe two seasons if you're talking winter annuals, and then they'll be replanted or reestablished. So you're not sacrificing quite as much if you end up grazing those during wetter times of the year than you do your perennial forages. 
Great. So what do you all find are the best forages for heifers to graze? So Sarah mentioned the ones that we've been using. Um, we started mostly with uh, triticale was kind of like our base forage. And this was largely because uh, we think it's a really good kind of combination or hybrid between that rye and that wheat. And it tends to be a little bit slower maturing than rye, which, you know, when we're grazing, we're only utilizing a little bit of that pasture at a time. So we don't want that forage to mature really quickly and get ahead of us and become too mature and too stemmy and, and lower in quality. And it's, I think a little bit higher yielding um, than wheat and usually has a little bit less lodging issues than rye. So we kind of started with that one because it seems to be a good kind of combination of those different factors as well as it is one that is a winter hardy, so it can overwinter, unlike, you know, you could use oats, which is another good high quality small grain for grazing, but you'll really, you won't get the, the double season with that one. So it kind of is all about balancing when you need forage with what species you want to use. So we started with triticale and then Sarah said, you know, we also have played around with using a three-way mix. So this last fall, we used a combination of oats, triticale, and annual ryegrass. And the goal with that was that the oats, we know they won't really overwinter usually in most winters, but we'll get a lot of tonnage in the fall for some fall grazing from that. And then the ryegrass and the triticale will overwinter and provide additional forage during the spring. And that worked out pretty well this last year, actually. So we're going to keep playing around with it a little bit, I think, but we were been pretty happy with that combination uh, right now, at least. Do you all find that there's any need for supplementing these grazing heifers to meet their nutritional needs or have they been fine with just grazing? Yeah. So for the project that we are doing, we're using bred heifers. So right when they're confirmed pregnant, right around 15 months until just before calving is when uh, they're on our project. And during that time, they're only receiving about a pound a day for, of corn and mineral mix. And most of that is just to make sure that they're getting the mineral that they need. And they are generally maintaining a similar average daily gain as the control group, which is a TMR fed group. So my response to that would be, as long as they're getting an appropriate amount of mineral and there's enough high quality forage available for them, they don't necessarily need supplementation. So if you're in a pasture system where you don't have enough acreage or enough quality forage out there, then supplementation would probably be something to consider. But in our project, we haven't found that we need it yet. Great. And you were talking about enough acreage for the amount of heifers that you have. How do you all go about estimating how many acres you need per head? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. And a hard one to answer because it depends so much on the the productivity of your fields and you know how much also the weather and how much forage is out there and you know the age and body size and condition of the animals um, so it's a bit tricky to to completely uh, answer that but i would say we have right now usually somewhere between 15 and 20 heifers and the rotational group is grazing on a total of i think it's about eight acres of annual forage and 15 ish of the perennial forage so so, it, you know, we usually don't like to see, at least in my experience, the annuals planted on over half of what you currently have, just because you do need some of that perennial forage base still there to, to be grazing and utilizing when those annual forages are being planted and are first getting established. So 
I think, you know, a third or so of the acreage in annual seems to be like a good amount, at least for a place to start. If you're just getting going and you just kind of want to try it out and, and dip your feet in it a little bit, uh, you could do a little bit less than that, you know, say 15 to maybe 25% or something like that of your acreage and annuals. Um, but the stocking rate is, I guess, fairly similar to, you know, what you would have for your perennial pastures. So if you're kind of happy with, you know, say for example, two acres per cow, and that seems to be kind of fairly sufficient, um, you could plan for about the same or maybe slightly less once you kind of get, get better at growing the annuals and, and get that production up. Okay. And what perennial forages are you all using for this project? Our annual uh, perennial forages are um, a combination of clover and mostly infected tall fescue. Okay. And then what is the best strategy that you all have found for estimating dry matter availability and just keeping accurate records in general? Yeah. So um, records, of course, is always the, the tricky component when you're grazing, right? Because um, things change on the daily basis. But for dry matter availability, there's a couple of different ways to kind of measure how much dry matter we have in a, in a pasture at a given time, kind of the gold standard that's, you know, recognized as kind of the top notch for in the forage world is the, is clip actually clipping set, you know, amounts of forage and weighing that or drying it and weighing it um, to get the dry matter weight. But of course, that is also the most tedious and the most time consuming. And really, um, unless you're kind of using it for, you know, research purposes, probably not an easy thing to do on a very regular basis. So Two other options that are a little bit easier that also can give you an indication of dry matter availability are using um, something called a rising plate meter, which kind of has a plate that kind of falls down to the height of the canopy. So it kind of compresses the canopy, but once the canopy is grown taller, it kind of keeps the plate up higher. So you can use that to kind of measure dry matter availability. If you don't have access to one of those or don't have one, there's uh, something called a grazing stick or a pasture stick um, that you can also use to kind of measure forage height and get an estimate for density. So you really need kind of two things. You need to know the height of that forage and you need to know the density or the thickness of that sand. And using those two measurements, then you can get a get an estimate for the dry matter availability within a given pasture. So we're currently using a grazing stick and we're also actually um, are just going to be starting using a rising plate meter and we might kind of be trying to do some testing to see which one is better or easier or more accurate than the other. So stay tuned for that, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have more questions about that because I have read that you have to calibrate the rising plate meters depending on the type of forage, the species of forage that you're measuring. So that will be interesting once you have those yes. results. <laughs> those are definitely going to be trickier with the annual forages because a lot of those like rising plate meters were designed and created in places like Ireland or New Zealand, where they have just a lot of like ryegrass or, um, you know, perennial pastures. And so that's what those were developed for. So it'll be interesting to see you know, if, if that accuracy is way off or how it, how it works when we use it with some of the annual pastures. Yeah, that will be interesting for sure. So do you all think that grazing heifers and lactating cows together is a good practice for farmers to use? Yeah, um, that's an interesting question. And we have seen common, you know, some producers think that that's a good idea and they, they, they generally like it. But in terms of meeting the animal's nutrient requirements, I just don't think that there is much of a benefit in terms of for the cow and for the, and for the heifer. I think really what we're after is trying to match the forage quality with what the animal requires. And because of that, our lactating cows are really going to have a higher nutritional requirement than our heifers. And so we really want to make sure we're prioritizing 
the high quality stuff for our lactating cows and then, you know, giving the lower quality stuff, not poor quality, but lower quality stuff to our our heifers. So I would recommend a system where maybe, you know, the first part of the day, you let the cows out first into the good stuff. And then maybe in the afternoon, you take the cows out and let the heifers come in and clean up or the dry cows in that, in that sense to clean up the rest after that. Yeah, that's a really good idea. And I've seen some rotational grazing systems that have a more diversified farm with other species of livestock animals that they'll kind of put like the lactating cows in first and then follow by the heifers and then bring in like the sheep and goats and then the chickens and the ducks. So that would be a nice rotational practice for sure. Do you all have any recommendations for heat abatement or fly control on pasture for the heifers and lactating cows as well? Yeah. So pasture is tricky because obviously if they're in a barn, they have the access, usually access to fans and obviously in pasture, they don't. So obviously the biggest thing in pasture would be shade, making sure they have access to shade, orienting your pasture setup so that there's one, you know, a tree line or something like that. If you're, you know, running your uh, temporary fencing perpendicular to the tree line, that can give you some options for shade, at least during part of the day. We also at the research farm, we have constructed a portable shade structure that we have. It's basically a shade cloth on top of a running gear that we're able to pull around to the different paddocks using just a Kubota. So that's been working pretty well for us. It was interesting because the, in the beginning of our study, we didn't have that shade structure. And all of our annual pastures actually um, do not have any trees in them. So when we, we finally put the shade structure up, um, the heifers really seems to do really well on the combination of the annuals, as well as having access to that shade. Obviously, fresh water, fresh, clean water, you know, all the time is really important to heat stress abatement on pasture as well. In terms of fly control, for our heifers, we put the, you know, fly tags in their ears at the beginning of the season. And that's really all we've done. I know that there are other options that a lot of producers, especially in the beef world, have used like oil rubs and things like that that are available, but we've not done them at the research farm yet. Great. So I just have to talk about this because I feel like it's come up a few times when I'm out at farms talking with producers, if there's any form of heat abatement in the pasture and they'll say, well, I have, they have access to the creek. If someone said that to you, what would your response be? Well, here in Maryland, we highly suggest you fencing your animals out of the creek. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I'm sure your, your response would probably be the same. Yes. Um, so I would not suggest that as being your, your uh, go-to heat stress abatement strategy. I would suggest investigating into something else, uh, either using shade trees, orienting your, your uh, temporary fencing a little differently to get access to your trees, or doing something like uh, you know, making a portable shade structure, structure or something to that effect. Yeah, we really want to keep, you know, manure and that kind of stuff out of our, our creeks and our waterways. And you're also kind of leading to a lot of erosion when you're doing that, you know, by having the animals constantly going in and out and mucking up those areas, those are going to become kind of highly erodible areas, which then in turn means that they're not highly productive pasture areas. And, you know, in a pasture system, we want to kind of use all of the good acreage that we can for production and for forage growth and kind of avoid, you know, erosion and and issues like that as much as that we can. And kind of um, something else I forgot to add to in terms of our heat abatement, basically in terms of, you know, shade and location of the shade. Sometimes what we have found is if there's a really hot day in the forecast, we will actually change up our grazing plan a little bit so that we can accommodate that and put those heifers on a pasture that has more, you know, more shade available during those hot days, for example, um, instead of putting them on the pasture with one little tree on it. 
So that's just something that we have found to be very useful in our system. And I think that other producers would probably agree, you know, being flexible in your grazing plans and looking ahead in the, at the weather can be helpful with that as well. Yeah, 100% agree. And so we covered quite a few topics in this short interview, but do you all have any main takeaway messages that you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I um, I guess I'm going to continue with the thread Sarah had started with kind of being flexible. So, you know, we always encourage producers to have a plan, you know, and have an idea of what they want to do and, and have goals that they're working towards when they're doing, you know, using grazing, especially when you're kind of working with, you know, forages that might be newer to you or experimenting with some of these annuals or small grains. So, it is important to have a plan and, you know, plan accordingly, I guess, but also keep it, keep it flexible and, you know, don't be too hard on yourself. If like Sarah said, you need to kind of put them in a larger area for one day. So they have access to the shade or, you know, you're going to be out of town overnight. So you want to just give them a slightly bigger area and, and let them be, you know, for heifers, at least let them be there um, and for an extra day or something like that. Um, obviously, you know, within reason, but we, we find that, the more flexibility you can build into your system and your mindset, usually kind of the more successful that you are when it comes to grazing. So that's my two cents, but I would also add, um, in addition to being flexible to try to avoid comparing yourself to other farms. I know we all like to do that, but it's important to make sure that the system you have is meeting your goals and your animals are doing what you want them to do. Just because your neighbor down the road might rotate their heifers or their cows or whatever, you know, every few hours, that might not be what works for you. So that's my, you know, big take home message is to be flexible and don't compare yourself to others. Those are really good takeaway messages. It's not a a grazing plan is not a one size fits all thing. You have to do what works best for you and your operation. Yeah. Also, don't be afraid to like experiment a little bit, you know, and play around, you know, just because, you know, we said we like triticale for our current system or whatever. It may be that wheat or rye or another small grain or other annual forage works best for you. So, um, you know, talk to other farmers, see what they're doing, come, you know, visit the research stations in Penn State or here in Maryland or wherever, kind of see what other people are doing. But ultimately remember, you know, like Sarah said, your farm is unique and um, don't be afraid to kind of try something new if you think it might work for your farm. Exactly. Great advice. Thank you, Sarah and Amanda, for talking with us today. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you all have any further questions regarding this topic, you can email me at cab7033 at psu.edu. And don't forget to tune in next Tuesday, where dairy educator Rainy Rosemont will be interviewing Virginia Ishler and Tim Beck discussing the feeding and economics of small grain forages. Thank you and have a great week.